Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, welcome out, everyone, and um, thank you so much uh, to Creekside for the Anzac uh, commemoration uh, where we can reflect as well. But how many of you know it is good to be in church today? And so uh, last week, uh, sorry, for those of you who don't know me, first of all, my name's Glenn, um, and I am uh, on the speaking team just helping out as well this morning, so I'll be bringing the Word of God today. And uh, last week... Uh, We are going through a series through the book of Daniel, and last week Tim uh, brought a message about the consequences of pride uh, from the book of Daniel chapter 4. And we looked at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar and the impact that pride had on his life. So uh, today, we are going to spend some time diving into the book of Daniel chapter 5. But before we do... It's really important that we understand that between the last verse of chapter 4 and the first verse of chapter 5, a bit of time has passed. So verse 2 in the book of Daniel chapter 5 says that King Nebuchadnezzar, or King Belshazzar rather, was the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. But just like Jesus in the New Testament was known as the son of David, and we know King David lived generations beforehand, we're talking about ancestry. So Belshazzar was a descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar. And I know that, you know, Australian culture, I know Kiwis are a little bit the same. You know, we like to shorten words, right? So brother, we like to say bro. Or, you know, um, I heard uh, a cocky was short for cockroach. Uh, I've never heard that in my life, man, but I I just love all the Aussie slang, all the Aussie lingo, absolutely love it. So for the sake of having to say Nebuchadnezzar, 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 let's just call him Nebs, (laughs) all right? We'll just call him Nebs. So Nebs dies around 562 BC when the account that we're about to read in chapter 5, it occurred back in 539 BC. So, you know, do a little bit of maths, a little bit of uh, subtraction, a little bit of addition. Uh, We're looking at about 30 years. 30 years between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. So you follow me this morning. So King Belshazzar, in our text, I'm just going to give you a bit of a background. King Belshazzar, he throws a party. VIPs exclusive only. If you don't have an invite, you you ain't invited. He clearly breaks COVID rules, right, restrictions. He, it's about a 1,000 nobles. So a 1,000 of the nation's elites uh, are at this party, you know, this, having a few wines. And uh, after a few drinks, the king gives the order for the servants to bring out all of the gold and silver cups that were stolen from Nebuchadnezzar's reign from the temple in Jerusalem. So he goes, you know what? Remember all the cups and all that fine china. It's not fine china, but you know what I'm saying. It's very, very, very special to the Israel people. Remember all those gold and silver cups that my, you know, great, 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 whatever, uh, took from the temple in Jerusalem. Why don't you bring them down and we'll just drink out of those? So that's what's happening. And these cups were once used by the priests as an act of worship. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and all of his concubines, they all drank from them, and they began to praise the gods of gold and silver. The Bible says bronze and iron and wood and stone. 
So if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to pick up the story in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5 through to 9. We'll have the words on the screen as well for you. But the Bible says these words, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand, uh, the hand as it wrote, his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners or diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple. So they'll get a, you know, a little bit of a cool purple robe, have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men, they came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. So what's going on right here is the king's throwing a party, VIPs only. He begins to take all of the, the, the cups that were used for Israeli worship, and he begins to drink out of these cups, and all of a sudden this hand appears, right, and begins to just write stuff on the wall. I don't know about you, but if, you saw, if we were in church right now, and then all we saw is this hand just begin to write something on the wall, and it's just the hand, right? That would be a freaky thing. But can you imagine yourself in this scene? There is a, there is a few things that we see throughout this chapter. It's, it's loaded with so much rich truth for us this morning. But there are a few things that we see so far. And the first one is this. It's so clear that the king crossed the line. There are uh, some similarities that we see in Belshazzar and also in King Nebuchadnezzar. We see an arrogance we see an irreverence within this man. He takes the utensils that priests would use for worship to God and use them for self-satisfaction. He takes what was used to praise and honor the living God and use them uh, to pay homage to idols and false gods. He's already broken one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel. There is zero acknowledgement, zero respect, and absolutely no recognition given to the God of heaven. And listen to what Psalms 14.1 says. It says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And this is the disposition of King Belshazzar. It's absolutely insane. This man just begins to think, You know what? I can do whatever I want. And just has no respect for who God is. And what is crazy is that God responded to this event. God saw this event transpire and chose to respond. It says in verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared. That's crazy stuff. Wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened, you know, that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king is freaking out right now. He is absolutely struck with terror. You know, he's got his knees. The Bible says we're knocking. It's kind of like, you know, Elvis, you know, back in the day. He's doing the Elvis dance before Elvis brought it back and made it popular. Fear has gripped his heart. He's completely overwhelmed because God chose in this instance to respond. And there are numbers of times where we see God responding, sometimes in unusual ways. 
In Numbers chapter 22, uh, we read about a man, his name's Balaam, and this is a man that God is working through, and he saddles his donkey, right? You imagine a little donkey, and he heads in, in a direction that God didn't tell him to go in, and an angel with a sword in his hand blocks the path, and the donkey sees the angel with the sword in his hand, and he tries to, you know, take evasive action going, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not dumb, I'm going to try and avoid this guy, but each time that he tries to take evasive action, Balaam begins to smack him. Naughty donkey. The Bible says he beats him multiple times. And listen in Numbers 22 verse 28, it says this, Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, listen, this is the donkey. It says, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road and his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Because sometimes God responds to us in unusual ways. Amen. For a lot of husbands... Uh, it can be through our wives. Hello. And wives are like, mm, yes. <laughs> you understand what I mean? God can choose to respond in unusual ways. But just like Balaam, he was blocked off to the idea. His heart was closed. He didn't want to hear it, especially from his donkey. God chose to intervene in order to carry out his will. So why would God choose to respond to Belshazzar at this moment? And I believe it's because he's sovereign. God is sovereign. The sovereign God. This is one of the most important principles about God. When we understand that he is sovereign. The word sovereignty, it means supreme power and authority. The Bible describes God as an all-powerful and all-knowing being. It says in Psalms 147 verse 5, the Bible says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Most would agree here this morning that God is preeminent in power and authority. And God's sovereignty is a natural byproduct of His omniscience, His, his all-knowledge, omnipotence, and His omnipresence. And we don't have time to dive into all of this this morning, but in a nutshell, there are no limits to God's rule. God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all the world and everything in it. He is never helpless. Amen. He is never at a loss. God is never backed into a corner where his only recourse is to do something he hates to do. This is not the God that we serve. We begin to shrink God down to our level of understanding. He never loses his grip. He is in complete control. And in a lot of situations, it can be really difficult to process this. But when we know God's character, we understand that he is not only sovereign, but righteous and just as well. We can trust knowing that God has a greater plan in mind. One of the verses 
that can sometimes uh, bring encouragement and discouragement at the same time for me is in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 to 9. It says this, For my thoughts, this is God speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm like, really? Your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God functions on a whole nother level to us. But he's righteous and just. He's compassionate and merciful. The Bible says that he is the defender of widows. Man, how comforting is that? The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, that he is the helper. Talks about that he is the prince of peace. He is sovereign. But his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are way above our thoughts. God chose to respond to Belshazzar. So back to the text. In Daniel chapter 5 verse 7, it says, The king, he summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. So he's bringing in all of these experts. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he's going to be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That's an insane offer. You could probably make up some stuff, you know what I mean? I had a friend, right, and originally from New Zealand, moved over here and he was telling me he went to Europe and he's, you know, he was young and he was single and, uh, you know, everyone's recognized the accent. They're like, oh, um, where, where are you from? Right? He's, oh, I'm from New Zealand. And then he begins to say, oh, you know, do you know how to speak, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's the, uh, Mari, Mari, right? It's Māori, by the way, so you've got to roll the R. But he begins to say, oh, you know, can you, can you speak, these people? And he's like, yeah. And he begins to list off suburbs of <laughs> Waiuku. You know what I mean? He starts listing all that. Manurewa. Papakura. What does that mean? You're beautiful. <laughs> Man, seriously, if, this, if these guys had any idea back then, they would, they would be the third highest ruler. That means king, you're great. But as you read on in the chapter, the queen or the queen mother comes onto the scene, calms down the king. You know, the king's freaking out, right? He's doing the Elvis thing. And so he calms the king, and as she calms the king, rather, tells him to search out for a man named Daniel. The man who the Spirit of God is in. The man with the Bible, what the Bible says, has a keen mind, knowledge, and understanding, and has the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. So Daniel's called. And so here we are right now in this chapter. Daniel's on the scene. The king pitches his offer, you know. Oh, mate, mate if you can uh, tell me what that, that says up there. Oh, mate, I'll give you a pay rise, give you a promotion. That's my uh, Aussie rendition of the text. You can ridicule me later. If you can interpret the writing on the wall, you'll be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel, listen, like a boss, says this. Keep your gifts. Keep your gifts. 
And I want you to follow along in Daniel 5, 18 to 28. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. The Bible says, Your Majesty, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. He's saying God gave that to Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the high position he, God, gave him, he, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. To those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Those he wanted, I'm oh sorry, rather, those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Verse 20. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, what Tim was mentioning last week, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate uh, ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. So let's pause here. Belshazzar knew because of an experience that one of his ancestors had, and yet he still fell prey to this. Instead, it says in verse 23, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, This is the inscription that was written. The Bible says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes. Medes. Man, my English is terrible. And Persians. The lesson here today is this, is that everything that Nebuchadnezzar had received, everything that Nebs had accomplished was because of God. Nebs didn't do it himself. God was at work behind the scenes. He allowed the Babylonians to reign as they did for as long as they did. Why? Because God is sovereign. And it's a reminder for you and I this morning that our lives are in God's hands. Our lives this morning are in the sovereign God's hands. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Jesus had to calm people down who were freaking out about the future of their lives. They're going, oh, you know, what about this? And what about, you know, inflation? And what about the interest rate? And, you know, what about housing in the next few years? What about COVID? 
And it says in Matthew 6.30 this, Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little of faith? Therefore, do not uh, worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father, listen, knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, in the book of Daniel, King Belshazzar forgot what his ancestor Nebuchadnezzar or Nebs had experienced. Allowed his pride to overtake him. In Proverbs 16, it says that uh, pride goes before a fall. Allowed his pride to overtake him. And the consequence was his life. You ever been around someone who just is very proud? It's really hard to stay or maintain, uh, I guess, being in their presence, right? Uh, we have a term in back home, and it says, that's ugly. <laughs> I think it's Greek. <laughs> but this morning, church, may we remind ourselves that every blessing is from above. Our lives are in not just God's hands, but they're good hands. I don't know about you, but my God, I just imagine God having really big hands. I just imagine that God has my best interests at heart and I trust in that. He has my family's best interests at heart. The community that I belong to. I know that God wants the best for this community. And for every single one of you here this morning, I know without a doubt, because of who God is, God wants the best for you. But every blessing is a gift from God. Listen to James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Thank God that he is the same yesterday, today, and for forever. Can you say amen to that? Our relationships this morning, our jobs, our homes, our children, our families, our church, our friends, when we recognize and acknowledge that God has given these to us, we become grateful. It's easy to be grateful when, you, when you're, you just look around and go, gosh, man, look at where God has, has got me right now in this moment. But how many of you know it's also easy to recognize this when things around us are going well? Right? Easy to recognize when things are going well, every, you know, you'll get your kicking goals, as they say. And, and you're like, God, thank you. I give you praise. A lot harder when things are not going so well. It's easier to acknowledge his sovereignty when life is good. But the reality is God's sovereignty is at work even through seasons of difficulty. Perhaps maybe you're here this morning and you're in that season. You're in that boat. You're traveling through a storm at the moment. 
Or you feel like Daniel in the furnace of fire. Or you feel like you're in a den of lions and you just feel like uh, your life, everything around you is uncertain. You just don't know where to turn, where to go, what to do. And you're crying out, God, help me. And you feel like he's gone silent. I want to tell you that God's sovereignty is at work even through these times and seasons. That when you and I realize that we made it through the other side of personal loss, tragedy, crisis, heartbreak, disappointment, we can realize that God was the one who was keeping us the entire way through that journey. Through prayer, through community, through support, through his word. Because church, he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Yes, he gives us what we need, but he is also Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, who offers us peace in those times of uncertainty. He's our rock, our stability. God sees, he knows, and he understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I love this verse. It tells me that God is not some distant thing in the air or in the sky that's just like moving us around like chess pieces. No, God understands what we go through. He understands what betrayal feels like. He understands what disappointments and setbacks feel like. He understands what pain and hurt and rejection feels like. And it says here, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, church. Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is not far removed from your life. Through all of the good times and also the bad, the highs and the lows, the hills and the valleys, do not forget that our lives are in His hands. Everything we have is because of God. And listen to Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was without not without effect. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, God knows the very numbers of hairs on your head or your face. So today as we leave, as we wrap this up, I just want to encourage you that no matter what it is that you're going through, God sees he knows and he understands. When you think that God is silent, let me tell you, he's working. Don't ever think that God has let go or he's lost control of your situation. That's not true. God is sovereign. And remember, number two, that God is sovereign and in complete control. There's a verse that says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Do you believe that this morning? Cast all your cares on him. God, I'm frustrated. I got bent out of shape because what so-and-so said to me at the shops the other day. Oh, my kids, Lord, my kids. (laughs) 
God, just work in me, please, and understand that you're in control. Let's bow our heads as we invite the musicians to come up this morning, and I just want to seal off in a word of prayer. Appreciate your attentiveness this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, this morning that the reminder, God, that you are sovereign, the reminder, God, that you are in complete control. There is none like you, Lord. And uh, Father, we just pray that this morning, God, as we leave this place, Father, that God, you would just speak to our hearts, Lord God. Give us direction. Give us clarity, Lord. Father, we feel like perhaps maybe you've gone silent. I pray that you would give us ears like Samuel that would be able to hear the voice of God. God, I pray for each and every person here, God, that is struggling. God, comfort them, Lord. Encourage them, Father. Restore joy. And I pray that this morning, God, uh, uh, Father, that we would be humbled in your sight, God. That, Father, you would humble our hearts, Lord. Forgive us of our pride, God, of self-seeking, of of anything, God, that is trying to uh, uh, remove the glory from yourself, Lord God. And we just pray that today, God, that, Father, as we leave this place, Lord, that you would remind us that you have your handle on our current situation and circumstances. We commit this to you, we trust you with it, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you very much.